0: So with us today is uh, Richard Allington, and Richard is from the medieval side of the department here at SLU. Uh, So Richard, maybe if you could explain to us a little bit about your time here, what you do, uh, what your your specialty is. Great. So I've been here for, this is my seventh year. Okay.
1: I defended my dissertation in October. And so my research is on the Crusades and medieval culture and, and the way they intersect. Uh, So my dissertation looked at people who pray for the Crusades. Mm -hmm. Um, So people who aren't leaving to go to the Holy Land, but people who are are at home who are praying for the Crusades, what sort of prayers and devotions they use. And so there's a sort of home front aspect to, to what's going on. And how these prayers and the way these people see themselves engaging in the Crusades, how that shapes faith life.
0: In uh, medieval society, more generally, very nice, very nice. Yeah, you, when you think of crusade, you always end up thinking of the guys in chain mail that are going off to the Middle East and to the Levant, and but it, the the war is at home too. The war is at home, and the war is the war
1: is inside. Uh, yeah, because it's uh, it's a, in many ways it's a war, and this is becoming more the case in the period that I look at, where you're moving into second, sort of a second or third generation, okay. where it, there's much more of a focus on self self purification. And, but you're you're absolutely right that when whenever if you Google image crusades, <laughs> that, that, that that that's not what you're going to see. Yeah, no,
0: no, I I've been there. I was thinking with this we could talk about uh, what drew you to history, and then maybe what drew you to grad school more specifically. So why why history? What what makes that tick for you? So I can remember being
1: quite young, maybe maybe eight, maybe seven or eight, mm-hmm. and reading young people's books about about medieval history. Uh-huh. And uh, then into high school and reading everything I could find about the American Civil War.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: But So uh, I've been interested in a, a broad range of topics in history, but uh, history has always been a topic that has interested me mm-hmm. and always been uh, fascinating, I think when it comes down to it my interest is grounded in the fact that you're discovering more about other human beings who are who are real people who really lived to engaged with the same questions that people engage in today but in in a different context mm-hmm. which in some ways lends those questions greater poignancy and certain changes the way those questions are framed to to a certain extent but there are human virtues and vices there that are enduring that you can uh, that you can learn from. I-, I didn't think this as a seven-year-old.
0: He's uh, <laughs> <laughs> going to say quite a deep-thinking seven-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that, that was uh, that a was human a little, experience.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but trying to think back and, and trying to trying to understand why this has been an interest for, for so long mm. uh, I think I think that's probably the answer that mm. these were these were characters th- that I could
0: see that were that were real that were three dimensional yeah um, no that's great I I it's funny as you're talking I I remembering like a similar trajectory mm-hmm. of like you know you you read the red keep or these other you know these mm-hmm. medieval I sort of yeah, it's, uh, yeah great books you yeah. know these historical fiction books as you know a 6 or 7 or 8 year mm-hmm. old and then i went through a civil war phase as well oh, right. i i had i had the books you know on the shelf and everything mm-hmm. I was very into it but you're right there's something that in studying it we we see ourselves in a way. We see others who are making the same mistakes or similar successes as we would like to make, perhaps. Mm-hmm. It's funny, when I was as teaching last semester, I showed my students some of the, the Pompeii graffiti. And you know some of these things, they're, they're Roman. They're over 2,000 years old. They're, they're very vulgar as well mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, but one of the freshmen in the back uh, his his immediate reaction was they're just like us I was mm. like that that's it right? right there that when that switch flips of realizing that there there's not a whole lot of distance right between us and them yeah and there's a lot of commonality and then that's uh
1: that's a great virtue uh, of history that mm. you can teach teach people how similar they are to people who are on the surface of a uh, perhaps seem very different from it
0: mm, mm-hmm. uh, so is is that what keeps you coming back to it then too because the initial draw and what, what mm-hmm. keeps you interested in it, even in the midst of you know the the dissertation length writing and whatnot mm-hmm. there there still needs to be that spark right an a fascination with with the past mm-hmm. and
1: uh and these questions and um, you start to I, I think when you spend such a long time, or a relatively long time, mm. looking at a very concentrated topic, y- ideally I think you really kind of enter into it yourself. These are, are questions that you want to know the answer to, not not just because you got to finish a, a project, to finish a degree, but uh, and that's there too, you know. Yes, yeah, that, that's that's very present as well. You might not pursue these questions if no. you didn't have that that pressure. This is true, um, but that it also takes on a, a life of its own, mm-hmm. in that you want to you want to know the answer, you want to know why these people. Thought the way they did, or what they thought about
0: these events that were were going on at the time, mm-hmm. and I've had the uh, again similar thing with a a much smaller it's not you know, not dissertation yet, mm-hmm. but been working on a project for about a year about a, a Catholic priest outside of St Louis, and you you want inside the guy's head at some point, yeah. you know what what makes him tick and do these things that you don't quite have all the explanation for. Right, it's a fun tension there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so why graduate school in history? Because it's one thing to have this sort of this sort of sustained interest mm-hmm. in the past. You know, you can connect to people, see similarities or differences that are striking, but to professionalize in it, I think, is kind of a, a it's taking it to another level. So what what was it that drew you to graduate studies that be beyond the fascination perhaps or or maybe that is it?
1: I, s- I suppose in a, in a way it was so if we think about what drew me to graduate studies mm-hmm. but then also what kept me in graduate studies yeah yeah in some ways it's perhaps a, a bigger question mm. I think. Really, the draw. I mean, sounds sounds very basic and and not very practical. (laughs) Now, Um, the draw is that this is this is something that I enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a way to do more of it. Mm. And if if there's an opportunity uh, to do that that's sustainable, then it's worth at least exploring. Sure. Um, Mm -hmm. I think certainly, I remember the first month, six weeks of grad school. It was was very difficult. Mm in some ways it didn't get less difficult Um, (laughs) but there was a point where I thought this is this is hard, is this this really what I want to be doing? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the reconciliation after that was that I can't think of anything that I would rather be doing Mm. and then from that I think I started to embrace what I was doing a, a little bit more. There's something that's a wonderful opportunity that your job is is to get up and read
0: maybe not maybe not even to get up
1: Uh, (laughs) lean over as it may be (laughs) yeah (laughs) roll over and grab the book from where it was (laughs) right exactly to um that your job is your job is to read or your job is to write and that you get to do that for for such a long time and you have this opportunity to to form opinions or to explore ideas, then uh, otherwise you really might not have the time and the the energy to uh, to explore. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you're pursuing a particular project and you have a particular specialisation. But there's especially I think with, with history, there's there's something more going on where it's. As we've talked about, it, it has these common values and these common questions that extend towards an interest in society or views about society and community that you're also forming as well. And the opportunity to to do that, to have the time to do that, is is really a great privilege. I, I think oftentimes it's easy to say, well, I have this I have this interest that I can pursue in addition to a normal forty-hour-a-week job. Mm-hmm. But obviously, then it's it's a second priority. I mean, I've I've never tried, so you you you, <laughs> you have, probably have to have a a more experienced guest who who can maybe tell you, um, Life from the outside, and, and and right? Yeah, yeah. But my my perception is really that um, it's a real strain to mm-hmm. to try and to try and do the two, mm-hmm. or at least you don't have the the time to think about
0: these things in in the same way that you do as a, as a graduate student.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's it's really takes on the characteristic of a vocation in some ways yes you know it it, where you you know the vocation you're you're called to a certain way of life for a certain amount of time maybe for life you know in the case Mm -hmm. of religious but here your calling is as you say to to read and to write and to articulate what you've you've Mm -hmm. done and what you've you've observed but also One thing that I thought of while you were talking was that in finding out things about the past and and reading about it for so long and really pondering questions about it, in a way, we make ourselves vulnerable to sort of an interrogation by the past Mm -hmm. as well, right? Where not only are we trying to figure out what Father Godfrey and Chesterfield, what made him tick, but by really thinking deeply on the issues that he grappled with, we're forced to reconcile with things ourselves in a way, which is kind of cool to do that professionally you know it's it's a rather unique situation i think yeah a, a self examination yeah of of values um mm-hmm. of situation yes. uh of sort of a cultural awareness perhaps which which i think is available to everyone you know but but like you say it's it's sometimes i think hard to to find the time for that you know maybe mm. it comes in the form of reading Chernow's Hamilton, immersing yourself in someone else's life for a while. It uh, speaks to another part of history, is th- mm-hmm. the,
1: this discovery of identity, mm-hmm. um, which uh, which it encourages.
0: For sure. Uh, yeah, and and also what it means to be a historian you know, professionally. As reading, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but Jacques Maritain, the, the Catholic philosopher mid-20th century, and he made this observation, I was, I was reading this in a laundromat, you know, and he made this observation that the, the best historian may in some senses be a poet as well. Mm. And I thought about that for a while. And, and for some reason it, it resonated, which is interesting because, you know, when you think of a professionalized historian, you know, there's a certain form for grants, there's a certain form for conference presentations and articles, but a poet... Mm. It's kind of a different lens. I was, I was wondering maybe what you thought about that. Yeah, I, I think that's
1: uh, I think it's spot on. Actually, yeah. I think there are maybe two aspects to it. One is that history is this blend of the uh, subjective and the objective. Mm-hmm. Um, on the one hand, y- you cannot uh, you cannot argue without evidence. You have to. You have to use the the evidence you have and try and understand the evidence that you have Mm -hmm. on the other hand you have to have this humility before the evidence that on a certain level you never totally understand Mm -hmm. Uh, because you're trying to understand the innermost thoughts and motivations uh, uh, people and you probably would struggle to do that with someone who uh, you meet on the street or a colleague or someone who you know very well, in who's alive, sure, uh, l- let alone someone who's dead who lived in a very different cultural context. And so, there's a way in which you have to extrapolate from what it means to be a human. And extend that to this evidence that that you have, and so you're trying to weave together the these two parts, which is uh, which I think can be can be very poetic when it's when it's done well It's something at the same time as you're trying to understand reality, there's always going to be this aspect of mystery Th- there's always going to be a question you know one one more document one one more insight <laughs> how, how would that how would that change your argument about this person or this event. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think actually the fact that you were reading this in a laundromat it, 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 in in some ways it is an example of the poetry the poetry of being a historian and the poetry of being in graduate school. If mm. if if I, if I can assign yeah, assign yeah. you the title <laughs> the title of poet. I'll take it <laughs> because you're reading what a 19th century philosopher has to say about history. In twenty first century laundromat mm-hmm. in uh, in St Louis, mm-hmm. and you're trying to weave those things together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're trying to weave the, those different worlds together, and it, it speaks to what you were saying a couple of minutes ago about this self examination and the self understanding, mm-hmm. where these uh, these different contexts contexts have have to come together. Mm-hmm. What does it What does it mean to be What does it mean to be a, a poet? In, in a laundromat. But yeah. these are the sort of abstract uh inspirations that will then impinge
0: on your own research and the way you understand your your own research. For sure. No, I it was kind of funny, you know, in between switching loads of uh, you know, through the wash and whatnot, you're sitting there and contemplating some really dense and beautiful things. But also, you know, you're saying that there's this element of mystery always to to mm. our research. And I think the best poets if if I can use the word best i, I love t s Eliot mm-hmm. and I think Eliot was very aware of the the mystery that sort of underlies what we do and and how we move through reality and and that all we can really do is kind of apprehend it to a certain degree mm-hmm. we 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 can grow in a sort of knowledge of it but but at first we see it you know and we we try to grapple with and reconcile with what it is we're even seeing because we don't even have a a frame of reference sometimes. If we're we're looking beyond the appearances of what we do and and where we are, it it takes a a different degree of of sort of contemplation really to grapple with the essences of things and the meaning of it all. And the historian kind of does that in some sense, you know, whether it's in the classroom or Mm -hmm. in the laundromat as it may be <laughs> um. right. which I mean maybe speaks to something about graduate
1: school mm-hmm. that on one hand on one hand, you have to immerse yourself in these books and, the, these, sor- and these sources from so long ago or at least from a different world sure. um, but that at the same time uh, at least my, my view is you're not really going to be un- able to understand them if you're not living in your own world Mm. Uh, as well and you're not engaged with that society mm-hmm. perhaps perhaps you're able to understand them but are you able to present them
0: uh, uh, and are you able to explain them uh, S- so maybe the histor- the historian is really uh, a translator in that sense
1: I think so yes
0: you know you're not only translating between languages you know a German source or Latin source but really between between times between different states of being and place so to be literate in for the translator you have to be literate in both languages yeah not only literate but but competent and have sort of a feel for how they work and similarly the historian then has to have a decent grasp of both perhaps right in order to really make it present again to some, to some degree. You know, we can't make the past entirely present. But in order to represent it, you have to have a good grasp of where you are as well. Right. And you, if, the, if what you're
1: studying has universal implications about what it means to be human, mm-hmm. you have to be able to understand those in, in your, your own context as well. Sure. And in a way, you're translating, you're translating for both parties. Yeah. Uh, because you have to um you have to be able to present things in language that the people who are going to read uh what you're writing or listen to what you're saying can understand. Mm-hmm. But at the same time you also have to you can't
0: dishonor or misrepresent the people who uh who you're writing about. There there's something about the the integrity of what they experienced. Mm you know which i think this gets me to one of my other questions actually in that history and the humanities in general we always are talking about making it relevant mm-hmm. to people you know we we need enrollment we want classes filled but we also want to share this this depth of of wisdom even perhaps or this source that you can encounter that so how do we reconcile that you think of you know this whole conversation of Respecting the past's integrity of sort of contemplating it in this sort of poetic sense, but then if we're trying to present history as as useful as well you know to to the college freshman mm-hmm. you know the who who's presumably the the consumer of what we are providing, h- how do you do that? Do we have to stop short a little bit and and maybe kind of lead them on with some preliminary details? <laughs> I don't know well, what's an example of a preliminary detail do you think well perhaps it's the the Pompeii graffiti in some sense yes you know it's this artifact or fragment that speaks very clearly of its own accord in some senses mm. or at least that you can facilitate quite easily right
1: absolutely and it's the beginning of the beginning of the translation in a way yeah right but it it is a very difficult balance because on the other hand I think you have to embrace the the crazy uh, as it were. Um <laughs> yeah. And you have to um you know who who wants to just learn more about themselves. Um <laughs> or or who well probably probably people do but um <laughs> a handful at least. Yes. <laughs> um but who wants to learn about other people who are exactly like you? Mm-hmm. I I think I think very few people really do. Mm-hmm. Um so I I think there's there's actually a virtue and a strength in saying these people are the same as you in that they're human but they can have values and events that they're concerned about and priorities that are totally different from yours and and that's okay mm-hmm. Um and that's a part of the world that you're going to live in and that it's important for you to uh, understand that and I, I think you should
0: uh kind of f- uh, fly, th- fly that proudly without trying to be something that you're not. Sure and I think that may- maybe that's the key is we we need to own where we come from in some sense. Yeah. You know, that it, it is something quirky and strange. Uh, the past is quirky and strange, and so are other people. So are y- you, you know, you yourself right. are. And so when you encounter sort of this, not to use the cliched otherness, you know, mm. but when you encounter this otherness of the past, you realize also that the people who are different than you now they're also inheritors of that same strange past, you know? Yeah. and And it gives a very different understanding of, of where you are and how you relate to just people, I think, in some senses.
1: Right, which in a way you could say is not... In quotation marks, useful. It, it's not useful in the way that some of your some of your other classes might
0: be. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, it's more fundamental. Sure, the finances class will be very, very useful. Yes, this may help you relate with your accountant in a different way. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, um, I'm going to switch gears entirely. This is this is wonderful. So I was, I was thinking about. How all of this is so great that we do with the, the encounters, the the challenges to self, but it can be draining mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah, you know, uh, it's your Friday and you've read three books to prepare for Monday already. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, m- maybe only one book. You know, but yeah. good but draining. So how how do you approach that exhaustion or or deal with that? do you, do you sometimes have to take a step away from the historian's chair or or is it something that you know you just kind of you, you 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 turn the heat down on a little bit and you 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 come back to later or i
1: think learning how to step away is perhaps one of the most important skills about mm. uh being a graduate student and i think the experiences that you gain from stepping away uh will repay them uh will repay themselves it, mm. it's again, it's part of this broader picture that you're becoming someone who's gonna talk about, well, ideally, you're becoming someone who's gonna talk about what humanity is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have, to have, you have to have lived that. You have um, to know humanity, too. Yeah, <laughs> yes, but I think it's just, it's, it's not possible to always, always be studying not much, though. Perhaps we would like to be. Um, and there's always going to be more that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always going to be um, a book that you can read in more detail, another book that you can read, another hour that you can spend preparing your classes. But you have to know when it's healthy to step away, mm-hmm. um, and when you need to, when you're going to work
0: better if you come back to that from um, a, f- a fresh perspective. I I definitely agree with that. You. You can let what you do as the academic kind of sit and, and simmer a little bit. Yeah. You know? Because if you don't have time, if you don't have that, that laundromat time, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, you, it'll just constantly be more and more information and you don't have time for it to just kind of settle.
1: Yeah. yeah. Settling and simmering are, are really good because it's not as though, well, at least not always, that you turn off completely Mm -hmm. Um, because in a way these questions are so important to you that they're they're always going to be burning away a little bit at at the back of your at the back of your brain Mm -hmm. but you have you have you have to be able to turn to turn the ring down
0: yeah Uh, otherwise you burn what you're cooking there's nothing worse than a a overcooked article you know (laughs) (laughs) so we're getting i think a little bit to the end here but I had a, a couple of quick wrap-up questions. Hmm. So one is, we encounter lots of weird things in our research, right? maybe even just in reading books and whatnot. You mm-hmm. know, I I always remember reading uh, a book about English peasants. It's all based on mortuary records. Mm-hmm. I think I know. Yeah, but Hannah maybe uh, ties it back. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, and so I read that as a a, a junior in college, and. Uh, that was then the book of choice to bring out at gatherings and whatnot, and read off these stories so <laughs> <laughs> mildly morbid but you know that's yeah. also part of history I suppose right. but we find these quirky things in our research mm. that we may or may not be able to put into a book or an article but but we want to tell people about it so have you found anything that has kind of stuck out to you in that
1: way so you, so you, you as an American historian took a, took a medieval example uh, so, so <laughs> I, I, if I can, so this w- isn't actually uh, a product of, of research. This is uh, teaching prep. Okay. So, so I use it. I use it in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see a way that I'm ever going to use it in writing. Okay. But this is an example from the the siege of Delhi in 1398. Uh, with the, the terrible Timur Lane. And he, he, goes yeah. down, he goes down to the Delhi Sultanate, he knows that India is weak, uh, or that the Sultanate is weak. And uh, the Sultanate is politically weak, but financially well off still at this point. Mm-hmm. And they bring out these, so they put together a core of elephants in their, uh, in their army, which are covered in chain mail and, have, uh, and the tusks are coated with poison. And this always seemed like overkill to me. Where mm-hmm. I- if if you get nailed by the tusk of an elephant, poison's probably not going to be the first thing <laughs> uh, on on your mind, uh, and and so you wonder how Timo is is going to counter the, uh, uh, the 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 male poisoned elephants, and. Uh, he of course has an answer he sends um, but I always ask the students what, what animal could possibly contend with, with these uh, <laughs> intimidating beasts and the answer is camels uh, camels? Timur has these uh, camels that he, uh, he straps burning hay bales to a- and then uh, he and his men use uh, these iron rods to uh, force the camels to, to charge the elephants. And it seems as though, I, I don't quite know the details, but it seems for a while during this battle there are more animals involved there than human beings. <laughs> and uh, so this goes on for a while, the, but the camels are victorious and, and the, the elephants panic and they're driven from the field. And then uh, Timur's army comes in and, 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 and mobs things up. I, I, I suppose if you're looking for something that's out there, that uh-huh. um, I don't see where it's going to make its way into an article. Or, or, uh, <laughs> yeah. th- that's probably
0: uh, the first thing that comes to mind. That's phenomenal. The only other thing that I had was, uh, we had talked about this a little bit before, mm. um, but, but what's next for you? Where, where, where is Dr. Richard Allington from, from here on out? Well, I have
1: a couple of jobs that I'm in the process of, of interviewing for. Okay. So one is a one is actually where I went to college. Okay. Um, Delightful. So it's a, a teaching job, uh-huh. and the other is um, the other is more of a archival job. Okay. Uh, so in in a way they're, they're very different. It's going to be very an interesting couple of weeks, uh, as it were. Sure. Um, for for them and me. Uh, <laughs> Fair uh, enough. I but that's
0: that's part of uh, you know the the postdoctoral thing is you know you have these various different. options. There's lots of different things that you, you could do with the PhD, so I think that's that's actually hopeful for me. So that's good. Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, good. Well, Richard, thank you so much for your time. This oh, has been thank delightful. Thank you for
1: inviting me, giving me a, a wonderful uh, wonderful stage um, <laughs> to talk about things that are always interesting for me. So. Delightful. Well, likewise.